The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Well, good morning, saints. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and open up your copy of Scripture. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning concentrating specifically on that prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, a prayer we find in verses 14 through 21. So go ahead and uh, turn on your Bible, turn up your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I'm going to read our verses for us this morning, um, and then we will turn to our text. So as Paul, our brother in the Lord Jesus Christ, was carried along by the Holy Spirit, As he was writing to the Christians who were living in Ephesus, I think it's important to remember he is praying for Christians. He's writing to Christians right now. Listen to this prayer that he prayed for them starting in verse 14. The Apostle Paul prayed and subsequently wrote this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, They have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory. Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, grab your uh, pencil, grab your paper, grab your notebook, grab your Bible. This morning, um, I'm titling this sermon, um, A Prayer for Power and Love. A Prayer for Power and Love. If you go into these verses again, and you begin to work through them, what you see as Paul wades us out into the depths of a simple yet profound prayer, he's ultimately praying for two things. It's a prayer for power, and it's a prayer for love. Uh, The main idea that Paul wants us to see this morning um, is really um, a prayer for experience, if you want to put it in that kind of language. So far, he's been talking about how grace and peace have come from God, but what he wants us to know is that we need to know that. We need to know grace comes from God. We need to know that we can have peace with God because peace comes from God. Peace is found in the peacemaker, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know these things, but we also need more than knowledge of these things. And if you'll notice, there's this desire for Paul Um, to pray for the Ephesians that they may know something very specific, comprehend things, experience these things that they know. 
So what Paul's going to do is ultimately pray a prayer that we would experience God's power through the Spirit and grow in our experience of Christ's love. That's really, I think, the main idea that he's laying on top of us this morning. It's that prayer for power and love. It's a prayer that we would experience God's power through the Spirit And it's a prayer that we would grow in our experience, grow in our comprehension, grow in our understanding, grow in the application, grow in the depths of Christ's love. So what I'm going to do for us is do what we normally do, pause and pray. Uh, What we have in front of us is a prayer. And here in a minute, I'm going to start preaching this prayer. But I just want to uh, really prime the pump for you of application because at the end, what we're going to do is actually pray this prayer. So we're going to preach this prayer this morning, and then it just seemed fitting that at the end of a prayer and at the end of a doxology like we find in verses 20 and 21 that we're going to pray. So what I want to do is encourage you that as we are working through these verses before us this morning, that as the Holy Spirit sort of presses things on you on how you can not only maybe pray for yourself, but pray for others, that maybe you would jot those things down because what we're going to do is at the end, circle back around. I'm going to encourage us to do what Paul did for the Ephesians. Paul prayed for those Ephesians And I think we can model the Apostle Paul here by praying the same prayer for others. So as you're going through and maybe the Spirit begins to press things on you, jot those down because I want to encourage you to pray those for others when we come to our time of application at the end. So let's just pause, let's pray, let's ask for the Holy Spirit to empower the preaching of his word, and then we'll dive into the text before us. Father, I ask by the power of your spirit that you would assist this stammering tongue to proclaim your glory. I'm reminded of the interaction that Jesus had with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus at the end of Luke's gospel. Holy Spirit, if we are going to see Jesus clearly this morning, it's going to come as we are strengthened by the power of the Spirit. If we are going to hear our need for Jesus, hear the word of Jesus this morning, it's going to come as we are strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would open our minds to understand these simple yet profound words before us. Paul is going to shove out into some pretty magnificent deeps as he prays this prayer. And we need you to assist us to understand and see Jesus. So as I preach, would you use me as an instrument of preaching, an instrument of proclamation to unpack these words, expose the essence of these words so that as we hear about the power that we need to be strengthened with in the Spirit and we hear about the 
depths of Christ's love and this call to be filled with the fullness of God. And we see that grand doxology there. I'm asking that you, Holy Spirit, when all is said and done, we could say he moved. You opened our eyes. You opened our ears. You made our minds to understand. And then we could join in that little chorus of the two disciples who said after Jesus was explaining the point of him being the point of scriptures, did not Our hearts burn within us as he said these things. So Holy Spirit, move in power. Do only what you can do so that Christ receives the glory. It's in the name of Christ the King, I pray. Amen. Well, as we continue to work through Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians, we find ourselves at what is just admittedly uh, the hinge. It's the transitional point, the transitional section of this letter. The first three chapters have centered solely on what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus, his grace, his peace, centered on Christ and the way sinners can be reconciled to God. If you remember, God has called us in Christ. God has adopted us in Christ. He has redeemed us in Christ, and he has forgiven us in Christ. The Spirit has sealed us, and God has raised us, and he has seated us with Christ. No longer aliens, no longer strangers. We are now both reconciled to God and reconciled to one another into one new man by the blood of Christ. Through the cross of Christ, Jew and Gentile, man and woman, black and white, rich and poor, young and old, both are fellow citizens in God's kingdom. Both are members of God's household. Both are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Both are fellow heirs. Both are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of the cross. And it's this multicolored, multi-ethnic, multifaceted mixture of people from every nation, people from every tribe, people from every tongue, which Paul calls the church. It's the church that displays the kaleidoscope wisdom of God, says Paul. And it's the church which is to be the local display of God's glory to the nations. If we remember earlier... In chapter 1, Paul prayed for the church, and he prayed specifically that we would know certain things. He prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to know the hope to which God has called us, to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and to know the immeasurable greatness of his power displayed in Christ. But Paul knows we need more than just a mere knowledge of these things. He wants the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to grow in her experience of these things as well. So he says there in verse 14, for this reason, for this reason. And you might ask yourself, well, what, what reason? 
Well, at this stage in the game, in chapter 3, verse 14, it is all the reasons we literally just recapped in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Because of God's eternal purposes planned for the church and realized in Christ, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. This is him talking about his knees, in a sense, being buckled in prayer at the grand story of redemption being accomplished in Christ, the establishing of the church, his part to play in these things. He says, for all of these reasons, basically go back to Ephesians 1 verse 3 and run all the way down to Ephesians 3 verse 13. And he says, for these reasons, the appropriate response is to bend the knee before the Father in prayer. You see, God's grand scheme of redemption planned before the foundation of the world At this stage in the game, when Paul was writing the letter, literally unfolding in history right before his eyes, this plan so buckles Paul's knees that it brings him to a prayer of humble confidence. It's a prayer, really, of humble confidence. You see, Paul is no fool. Paul knows where the Christian's source of power truly lies. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul referred to God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18, he told us that through Christ, Jew and Gentile both have access in one spirit to the Father. And now we learn that every family in heaven and on earth is named from God the Father. The whole family... Jewish believers, Gentile believers, black believers, white believers, young believers, old believers, believers who've died and are in heaven, believers still alive here on earth, all owe their membership in the family to the father of the family who has adopted us all as sons and daughters through the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Father, Paul prays, for he has no doubt that God has inexhaustible riches, inexhaustible resources at his disposal. In other words, Paul is praying to the Father because he knows the Father has the ability and the resources to basically be able to do those things we ask and those things we think, as we'll see here later in verses 20 and 21. Our Heavenly Father delights to meet the needs of His children. And He does so, notice, according to the riches of His glory. His resources for answering prayer never deplete. His provisions for our petitions never run dry. His storehouse never empties. For these reasons, says Paul, 
I'm bowing my knee before the Father in prayer for you. And then what Paul does is he transitions into those latter part of verse 16 is he transitions into that two-part prayer that I just mentioned a few minutes ago. The two-part prayer, a prayer for power and a prayer for love. And so what you see is that the first part of this two-part prayer is a prayer for power. A prayer for power. You see that in verse 16, and it runs to the beginning of verse 17. Look at what Paul writes starting there in verse 16. He says, when he prays, he's praying that the Father may grant you to be strengthened, here it is, strengthened with power, power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Ultimately, this first part of Paul's two-part prayer is that the Ephesians, and subsequently you and me as readers of this letter, that we would experience the strength of the Spirit's power. The strength of the Spirit's power. Notice that Paul's prayer is very Trinitarian in nature. He prays to the Father that believers would be strengthened through his Spirit by the indwelling of Christ. This is what we need in our inner being, he says, or some of your translations might put it, inner man. You see, the way that you and I fight sin as Christians, the way that you and I grow in holiness as Christians, the way dividing walls of hostility between humanity remain torn down, the way we proclaim the gospel with courage, the way we stand firm against all that opposes the gospel, the way that we love those who do look like us, do act like us, and do think like us, and the way we love those who do not look like us, do not act like us, do not think like us, all of this takes place All of this can happen, all of this lives itself out in the life of the believer by the strength of the Spirit's power in us. Listen, if the hope of the Christian life was dependent upon a grin and bear it mentality, the Christian life would truly be hopeless. If the hope of seeing a sinner come to salvation, if the hope of fighting sin and growing more like Jesus in our sanctification, if the hope of gospel proclamation to pierce the human heart, if horizontal reconciliation among human beings, if any of these things rested on the sheer strength of a self-dependent human ability, we'd all be sunk in every category and beyond. It would all be a phenomenal waste of time because we do not have that kind of strength in and of ourselves. 
You see, what Paul is about to lay on us is this transition. Remember, this prayer is a transition. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is so perfect because it basically divides right in half. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 transitions through this prayer into chapters 4, 5, and 6. 1, 2, and 3, as we have seen, are very centered on here are gospel truths for gospel people. He's about to transition into the realities of what it looks like to live life as a gospel person. And what Paul is about to lay on us in the latter half of his letter, chapters 4, 5, and 6, these things cannot be accomplished in our own strength. These things he's about to lay on us will not be accomplished because we have an ability in and of ourselves to accomplish them. He's about to turn from our new life in Christ by grace, chapters 1, 2, and 3, to the way we live out this new life in unity, the way we live out this new life in purity, the way we live out this new life in submission, the way we live out this new life with the reality that there are spiritual forces of darkness, spiritual forces of evil that rage against the gospel and a gospel people, a life that can only do these things is a life that must be lived by the strength of the Spirit's power in us. So it's really good news when Paul prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, for by the indwelling of Christ we can and do have a great hope. If you go into another letter, that was written at the same time that Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, you would stumble into the letter Paul wrote to the Colossians. And Paul says as much that we do and can have a great hope in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, when he says, a part of the mystery of Christ that has been revealed, listen, it is Christ in you the hope of glory. So did you see that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here is Paul saying, you can and do have a great hope. That hope that you have rests in Christ. The hope you have of your life being lived to the fullest that brings glory to God in every way imaginable comes not because you have a strength in and of yourself in you, but it's because the Lord Jesus Christ himself is dwelling in you. Christ in you, that is our hope of glory. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. So to have Christ dwelling in us and to have the Spirit dwelling in us, these are the same thing. Christ dwells in our hearts by his spirit. And Paul's prayer is that as the church, we would experience the strength of the spirit's power in our everyday lives. Not just know that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which we do need to know. That's what he said back in Ephesians 1. 
not just know the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, although that is what we need to know. And he said that back in Ephesians chapter 1. But his prayer now is that these things we know, the sealing and this guarantee of the Spirit, he's actually praying that we would experience the strength of the empowering work of the Spirit in real time, present tense, every day, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out activities of life he's praying for that present tense experience of the strengthening power of the spirit in our daily lives so empowered by the spirit this is how we fight sin empowered by the spirit this is how you and i grow in holiness empowered by the spirit Dividing walls of hostility can remain torn down between human beings. Empowered by the Spirit, we can proclaim the gospel with courage. And the list goes on and on. You see, Paul prayed this prayer for others because he was convinced this is where our strength must come from must come from so a great question to ask yourself is this do i pray for others in the same way that paul has prayed for me do i pray for others in the same way paul has prayed for me see whether you realize this or not right now in this little local display of God's glory called Delta Church, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who have been adopted into the same family that you've been adopted to who are struggling with sin right now. They're struggling with temptations to sin. They are struggling in their growth in holiness. They're struggling with bitterness. They're struggling with anxiety. They're struggling with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the Apostle John says in his letter, first letter. They're struggling to walk boldly with courage in sharing the gospel. There's all kinds of just struggles in areas of sanctification, gospel proclamation, fighting sin in their lives. So to ask the question, do I pray for others the way Paul prayed for me? One, you might just have to, in, in order to get an answer to that question, you might just have to ask, do I even know my brothers and sisters well enough in Delta Church to know that they're struggling? You see, it's hard to be able to pray like the Apostle Paul prayed for others if you don't know others. Part of the implication of this prayer is just simply this. You need to walk linked, arm in arm, in community with those for whom you are going to pray. So if you're going to seek to genuinely find an answer, and I hope that the Spirit right now is just tightening the screw uh, uh, on this question. 
Do I pray for others the way Paul prayed for me? And that you're really seeking to go, okay, I need to wrestle with this question. The first thing is this. Are you walking in community with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, in Delta, in this local display of God's glory, in such a way to where you can even pray this prayer for them because you truly know the struggles that are going on in their lives? Then I think the backside of that coin, if you can be like, yes, I am doing this by God's grace. I do know the struggles the trials, the temptations, the sufferings, the hurtings, the grievings, the burdens that are on my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The second question I think that we need to ask is this. Well, does their struggle so burden your heart that it actually leads you to ask the Father to strengthen them? Strengthen them with power through the Spirit. Because, see, I think there's a category for being able to go, I do know my brothers and sisters in Christ well enough to know they're struggling, but I just don't really give a rip. I don't really care enough for them to actually bend my knee, take that language there, bow my knee before the Father on their behalf. The Apostle Paul not only knew where these brothers and sisters in Christ were, but it actually churned his heart and churned his gut so much that it drove him to his knees to say, God, if your local display of God's glory in Ephesus is going to proclaim the glories of grace, the glories of peace, the glories of the gospel found in Christ alone, the glories of election, the glories of adoption, the glories of redemption, the glories of forgiveness, the glories of reconciliation, it's going to come as they are strengthened by the power of the Spirit in them. And so he prays for that. He bends the knees of his heart and says, God, please, you have immeasurable riches according to your glory. Will you please pour out the riches of the strength of the power of the Spirit on these believers? And I can guarantee you Paul was convinced that God delights to answer a prayer like that. Do you know your brother and sister well enough to know their struggle? And if so, does their struggle churn your heart and bend your knee to pray on their behalf that they might be strengthened in their fight against sin, strengthened in their pursuit of holiness, strengthened in their gospel courage? And the list goes on. That's Paul's prayer for power. But notice that Paul also prays that the Ephesian believers would be strengthened to love, power and love. So Paul moves on to the second part of his two-part prayer as he prays a prayer for love, a prayer for power, a prayer for love. Just look at how he continues to pray as he moves on down into verse 17. He prays, guys, I'm praying, that you, being rooted and grounded, here it is, in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know, here it is again, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, Paul wants us to know, first off, that we are anchored in love. That's really what you see there at the latter part of verse 17, that last little phrase there. We're anchored in love, rooted and grounded in love. Remember, in Christ, 
What has Paul told us so far? In Christ, God has displayed the immeasurable greatness of his power, revealing the great love with which he has loved us. That's at the end of Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 2. To these Ephesian Gentiles, he's told us the grace of God has come, and it's resulted in peace from God. This is how God created a single new humanity called the church, Jew and Gentile, vertically reconciled to God because Jesus has killed the hostility and horizontally reconciled to one another because Jesus broke down that dividing wall of hostility through the cross. The result was a brand new humanity, a third race, so to speak, called the church. And Paul says it's this new community, this church of Jewish and Gentile brothers and sisters who display their love for the Father and they display love for each other as they remain rooted and grounded in love. Once separated by the deep racial and cultural divide that existed between Jew and Gentile, now they love each other. This is what can happen when reconciled sinners are strengthened with power through the Spirit. Love becomes the soil in which their life is rooted. Love becomes the foundation on which their life is built. And when people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, love others like they've been loved by God, this is how the church of God can thrive in a cultural moment like we find ourselves in. See, I think one of the things when we're asking ourselves these questions right now, in this cultural moment of the besetting sin of America, the racism being exposed and rightly so, the church can ask the question, how do we move forward pointing to Jesus Christ as the only hope of racism being erased and eradicated out of hearts, I think Paul is saying here is, listen, one of the immediate applications for an answer to that question is to realize we need to be strengthened with power through the Spirit to love people who look like us, to love people who don't look like us, because when that love that we are rooted and grounded in is displayed to the world around us, it will speak a message of gospel peace that can only be found in who Paul has already early referred to as Christ, the maker of peace, the peacemaker. You see, our cultural moment needs a picture of a church that thrives in love, rooted and grounded in love, because this is the picture of the church strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit that will truly stand out in night and day difference to every other organization that possibly exists in the world today. But notice that Paul's prayer for love isn't over. He also wants us to comprehend the dimensions of Christ's incomprehensible love. When you sort of dig into verses 18 and 19, it's sort of funny where he's like, guys, I'm praying that you would have strength to comprehend the love of Christ, which, by the way, can't be comprehended. 
It surpasses knowledge. You're sort of like, well, how does that work, man? It's like, I don't know, man. Paul's being carried along with the Holy Spirit, man. Words and phrases are being heaped up. So there's this sense in which he's saying, guys, you strive to comprehend this, but you got to know that you'll never fully comprehend it all. So don't let the incomprehensible nature of his love defeat your pursuit of growing deeper in that love. He wants us to comprehend the dimensions of Christ's incomprehensible love. He prays that we may have strength to comprehend breadth, length, height, and depth of Christ's love. It's a four-dimensional kind of love. So not only do we need the strength of the Spirit's power to love one another, rooted and grounded in love, but we need the same empowering strength to grasp the full dimensions of Christ's love for us. The love of God is broad in that it stretches to every nation, tribe, and tongue, Christ's love is long and that it will last for all eternity. We sang that just a few minutes ago. His love is higher than the heavens and it's deep enough to reach down to the chief of sinners. But it also needs to be said that we'll never fully mind the depths of God's love for us in Christ because ultimately there, beginning of verse 19, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. So on one hand, Paul prays that we might comprehend Christ's love while at the same time he acknowledges infinite eternities would not be enough to yield a full knowledge of this love. Have you ever just pondered why heaven is forever? Heaven is forever because there's just some things you will never mind. An infinite number of eternities will have heaped up, and you will still be sitting there going, I have not mined the depths of Christ's love for me. But he says, don't let that reality prohibit you from pursuing a growth and wading into the deeps of Christ's four-dimensional, multifaceted, deep, deep love for you. This doesn't stop Paul from praying that we might even begin to comprehend the incomprehensible nature of Christ's love. Notice, with all the saints. An isolated Christian, an isolated Christian, unfortunately, there are isolated Christians, people truly born again, but who do not walk in the community of all the saints. For whatever reason, they have found themselves convinced that they can lone ranger Christianity. And they're siloed. They're separated. They're pulled away. They're not a part of the local display of God's glory. They're an isolated Christian. And we have to say that an isolated Christian, it's true that they can know something of the love of Jesus. But in the words of one brother, this isolated Christian, their grasp of this love is bound to be limited by their limited experience. He says it takes the whole people of God, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, Young and old, black and white, rich and poor, Republican, Democrat, educated, uneducated. It takes the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. And this leads Paul to lastly pray that the Ephesians may be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants them to know the love of God in Christ to the end that they may be so indwelt by Christ and strengthened by the Spirit that they're filled 
to capacity with all the fullness of God. And so Paul's petition to God comes to a close there at the end of verse 19. I think there's probably a measure of him recognizing that to add more words to this simple yet profound prayer would just simply detract from what he's just prayed. And so now that he's climbed the heights of power and love in Christ, he leaves us at the pinnacle of praise. Look at that phrase there in verse 21. To him be the glory. To him be the glory. Not to us, but to him be the glory. Verse 20. Now, in light of these things, a prayer for power, a prayer for love, filled with all the fullness of God now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul closes his prayer with a doxology. Doxology is a two-part word. Doxa, which means glory, and logos, which means word. Stitch it together, it's glory words or glory speech. And Paul, at the end of his prayer, or at the end of his prayer, says the proper way to wrap up this prayer is to sing a song of glory speech. And this glory speech calls us to glory in what God is able to do, glory in how God is able to do it, and glory in why God does it. You see, you might be asking yourself, well, how is any of this going to happen? How are we going to be strengthened by the empowering work of the Spirit? How are we going to grow in our comprehending experience of Christ's love for us? How are we going to be filled with all the fullness of God? Paul says we're going to pray to him who can do it all. If he is the creator of the world and he's created all things, he's sovereign in power. If he's the father who, according to the riches of his glory, delights to answer the prayer. And if he is the one who can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, we are going to go to him and trust and rest that he will answer this prayer for these things. So what is God able to do? He's able to do what we ask. But not only that, he's able to do all that we ask. But not only that, he's able to do all that we ask or might even think to ask. But not only that, he is able to do more than all we might think or ask. But not only that, he's able to do abundantly more than all we might think or ask. And not only that, he is able to do far abundantly beyond the more thinking and asking that we might even dare to think and ask. Paul says, this is what our God, our Father is able to do. So pray to him. Pray to him. 
Bend your knees before him in prayer. Lift your petitions to him. Pray that the saints would be strengthened with the power of the Spirit. Pray that we might grow in our experience for Christ's deep love. Pray that we might be filled with all the fullness of God because you're praying to the one who loves to far more abundantly do all that we might ask or think. That's what he loves to do. How is he able to do it? He does it according to the power at work within us. So what's the power at work within us? I think that's a reference back to the Spirit. Strengthened with power through His Spirit. The power of God that dwells in us is the Holy Spirit. So He says He's going to carry these things out. That's how He's going to do, bring these things about. And then why does God do it? Why does God do it? He does it for His glory. He does it for his glory. He does it for his glory in the church so that as the church is filled with people strengthened by the power of the Spirit, he does it for, so that in the church, when the church is growing in its experience and comprehension of Christ's love, he does it so that in the church, when the people, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, are filled with all the fullness of God, people will be able to look at that local display of God's glory and go, not glory to the church, but glory be to God. He does it so that he might refine his glory in Christ Jesus. How was the church even brought into existence? It's brought into existence by the blood of Christ in his flesh through the cross. He does it for his glory, notice, without end. Throughout all generations, forever and ever. Did you know that you will be in heaven for an infinite amount of eternities and you will forever be singing the praises of the glory of the one who died to save you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory in the church, glory in Christ, glory without end. Friends, if this prayer is anything, it is challenging. It is challenging. It is simple, man. It is just a fistful of phrases. But it is deeply profound. And if this prayer is hitting you right now, like it was hitting me this past week, then my guess is that right now God is revealing just how much you and I have room to grow in prayer. That was the single weight that was laid on my soul this past week. I stink at prayer. I, I struggle to pray in these ways. I struggle to pray for others in these ways. I struggle to pray for myself in these ways. Friends, my hope is that if that is where you're at, what you would do is just say, God, this is just where I'm at. And he's going to go, I know this is where you're at. Remember, he's able to do all that you might ask or think. If you're already thinking about it, he's like, I know that you're already thinking about it. So don't run from God in this moment. Press into God in this moment and just say, God, I need help in growing and learning how to pray like this, not just for myself, but for my fellow family members in Christ. And how, this is a point of application, how are you going to even begin to grow in prayer as this prayer reveals your lack of growth in prayer? Go right back to verse 16, saints. By the strength of the power of the Spirit in you. See, the temptation for some of us might be, I don't do good at prayer. 
So I'm going to go run off into the corner and start pulling myself up by the bootstraps to get myself better at prayer so I can come back and launch some lofty prayers up into the heavens. That is not the way to do it. That is anti-gospel. That's anti-Jesus. The gospel Jesus pursuit right now is to go, I am not do. I, I need room to grow in this. I've got room to grow in this. Holy Spirit, by your power, strengthen me to grow right now. Some of us are struggling with sin. Pray, Holy Spirit, strengthen me right now to fight this sin and to see that Jesus is better than this sin. Some of you are struggling in holiness. Pray, Holy Spirit, will you strengthen me by your power to run the Christian race, the two-step march of grace and obedience and grace and obedience by the power of the Spirit, and on and on it goes. This is why earlier I told you to write some things down because what we're going to do right now is literally roll into a time of application where we're just going to pray. My hope is that the Holy Spirit has been pressing something on you to pray either for another brother or sister in the family of God or to pray for yourself in some way, but it just seems so fitting to only do one thing in light of preaching a prayer, and that would be to pray this prayer right back to God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Settle in, open up your little journal, open up your piece of paper, and let's begin to pray. The band is going to come. You might start hearing music in the background, and that's okay. Don't let that distract you. But let's pray these words right back to the Father for one another and model I believe what the scriptures call us to do. So saints, let's do this. Let's pray. Father, we, I'm sure, are finding ourselves all over the map right now um, in various ways, shape, and form. We are not quite maybe even sure what to pray. The good news is in that Romans chapter 8, when we are not quite sure of what we need to pray and the groanings of our heart, that's just what we have, that we have an, um, uh, someone interceding on our behalf, and praise be to God, Paul says that's the Spirit. So some of us right now might just have a groaning heart and the best thing that our heart can do is groan because we realize we just need to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit. And so Father, I pray that you would do that right now. Some of us, maybe it's less groanings of the heart and we can articulate certain things in our heart right now where we know we've got room for growth, growth in our experience, growth in our comprehension, growth in our understanding of the things that pertain to the Spirit, that pertain to the love of Christ that pertain to being filled with all the fullness of God. And so I'm just asking that even now you, Lord Jesus, would hear our prayer, that we would bank with everything that we have on the promise that when we pray according to the will of God, God not only hears our prayers, but delights to answer his prayers according to the riches of his glory. God, we believe, help our unbelief when it comes to prayer and lead us to pray even now to be strengthened with power through the spirit of the living God, the spirit of Christ who dwells in our hearts right now. We don't have to white knuckle Christianity. We don't have to uh, pull ourselves up with the bootstraps in this Christian walk. We have Christ in us now. That is the hope of glory. Holy Spirit, convince us, move in us, empower us and strengthen us to walk in this way so that as we live rooted and grounded in love for one another, the world would see this entity called the church and it would display the glories of God in Christ Jesus to a world that is lost and thirsty for that display of glory. May we be glory reflectors because we are empowered by the strength of the Spirit. 
It's in your name, Lord Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.